0: Home prices in Canada being crazy freaking expensive, it's very hard to tap into the market with an existing property when you need a down payment. Even as a first time home buyer, there's a lot of incentive. The government helps, they give you grants and stuff, but it's still difficult to start, especially now, home prices have increased significantly since the pandemic. So, building for us is kind of like our loophole for creating our own deals because we were able to tap in with $0 down. So that's how we started. That's how we scaled. And we just, we have sold a couple, but we always rented them out for like a minimum of a year or more and then sold them to kind of, like I said, reinvest the money in better cash-loving properties.
1: This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Natalie Cloutier. Natalie and her husband are build to hold investors. They reached financial freedom through building new properties, renting them out, and then moving on and building more. Today we learn about their strategy, how they got started building that first and second property and ultimately scaled to now having built over 30 doors with more on the way. We go all throughout the strategy. How does the money work? How does the build process and budgeting work? What strategies and assets did they have that they leveraged to make this process more straightforward and simple? What key lessons have they learned along the way? And so much more. They are Canadian investors who have found a successful strategy in a very high-end expensive market. This strategy can work in many parts of the U.S. as well, and we're getting a very compelling and interesting message from north of the border. There are a lot of great lessons in this one. You're going to learn a ton. Once again, I'm your host Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or had a hand in over 250 million dollars of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com or click the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday let's get going with Natalie. Natalie, thank you for joining us today. Before we get into your whole journey and everything, can we start with what you're up to today, what your portfolio looks like right now?
0: Yeah, sure. So right now we have, oh, I'm forgetting the number of units. We're in the 20-something. We have It's about a $7 million uh, portfolio, if I'm not mistaken. In total, we probably acquired 30-plus units. We sold a few during COVID, during high times to profit on that and to kind of reinvest uh, the money in, in in better investments. And so right now we're focused on more family time. We are still building properties and we're also working on our first big development project, which we were hoping to hit the ground in on 2024. Now it probably might be late 2024, early 2025. Developing in Canada is a whole other game ball, ball game, I should say. <laughs> yeah, that's going to take some time, but we're looking to do 24 48 units in total but we would own 24 units and so that's that's a whole new project for us but it's exciting and right now we're still focused on the smaller multifamily units.
1: Fantastic. So you focus on the build to hold strategy which is a great way to put it. Folks out there might have familiarity with this in terms of build to rent. That's a kind of a common term but you call it build to hold. I love that. So can we dig into the strategy? Tell us how it works, how you build properties and then hang on to them rather than sell it off and take the money on the back end.
0: Yeah. So you know what? It started uh, because um, we were able to build our own home with $0 down. So we call it an auto construction loan where basically you replace your down payment with sweat equity. So you go in there and you do a lot of the work yourself. That way you don't have to put any money down. We started doing that. We built our own home at 20 years old and we added in a basement apartment to add that extra income. We didn't have a very high salary, so it helped bring in, you know, pay pay for the mortgage and pay for expenses. And then we just realized, you know, this could be a recipe for a business. So we kept going and we built a duplex and then another and etc. Really, it just boiled down to home prices in Canada being crazy freaking expensive. It's very hard to tap into the market with an existing property when you need a down payment. Even as a as a first-time home buyer, there's a lot of incentive. The government helps, they give you grants and stuff. but it's still difficult to start, especially now home prices have increased significantly since the pandemic. So building for us is kind of like our loophole for creating our own deals, uh, because we were able to tap in with zero dollars down. So that's how we started. that's how we scaled. and we just we have sold a couple, but we always rented them out for like a minimum of a year or, or more. Um, and then sold them to kind of, like I said, reinvest the, the money in better cash link properties. Um but uh but yeah, that's that's how we got into it and that's why we do it. It's just a way for us to create deals.
1: I love that. And finding a way to be successful in it in an expensive market is very important. A lot of our listeners out there who are in the US can probably relate to that. We have folks that are in very expensive areas. People in real estate like to talk about the first deal, the law of the first deal that really gets things started. But in my opinion, the more important thing is the second deal. Moving from that first one into the second one, that's what really starts the scaling, builds teams and systems and everything. So. Let's move on and focus on that second deal. You'd gotten the first one done, built that with the basement apartment, but how did you move on to the second one and finance it and, and really make it happen and, and succeed with it?
0: That's a great question because we, it wasn't easy. So that one we started, we were hoping to build a duplex because obviously it's just more uh, profitable to have at least two incomes in a property. We weren't able to get approved. The bank said, you know, based on our salary, on our income, whatever, and how much it would cost. Like, it did. They didn't. The loan amount was over our our lending requirement. Like, what they were able to to loan us. So they said no. They refused us. Blah blah. blah. We walked away. Then we started thinking about it, and we're like, well, why don't? If all we need to do is to bring down the loan. Why don't we just build a single family home? So it's going to be like worth less. It's going to appraise for a little less. We can b- build it for cheaper. And then but plan it for like a future apartment. So that's what we did. We went back. We said, OK, you know, it's scrap the basement unit. Let's just do a single family home. Very simple. You know, we, we, we shrunk it down. We made it work so that it was cheaper to build. And uh, they, they said, OK, let's reappraise uh, it. And so, OK, yeah, now you would qualify for this. So this that's what we did. We used our HELOC on our own home where when we added the basement apartment, it added a lot of value. So we used a HELOC and we said, let's let's do this. So really, we could still build it with zero dollars, but we needed to show the bank that we could that we had the down payment in some form. So basically, if you're able to cover it with like a line of credit like we did, they said, OK, then that's fine. They'll still uh, approve us as long as you have like it's kind of like a backup for them. And again, this changes a lot. The like the loans change a lot, the qualification process. But this was in 2016. It was fairly easier to get into the market than it is now. So now I don't know what the process is, but that's how we got in. So we planned for it. We started building and then basically we rented out the entire home. I believe it was for $1,600 for the entire home. And then two years later, the tenants gave notice that they were vacating. They were moving to another area. So we said, you know, it's perfect time to kind of redesign a bit. We just closed off the basement, added what well, we closed off. There was a door to get to the basement. We closed that off and we just finished the basement apartment. And uh, that was in Then We finally got our duplex. So it's kind of like a two year thing. But that was the way that we could break into the market and start with that second deal
1: so you took that property from sixteen hundred dollars a month rent to two units do you remember what the two units generated after you had blocked off the basement apartment
0: yeah the top unit alone generated i I believe thirteen hundred dollars and then the basement was at 11.50 so it was a pretty big increase and in ontario so i'm in ontario canada so the the rents raise very fast here so we're constantly trying to keep up so it's really good to have turnovers because it's the only way you can really keep up with the inflation on on the rents so yeah just in a 2 year period it made a it made a really big difference
1: great so as investors scale their portfolio and move deeper into an asset class and they're they're learning along the way there are a lot of unknown unknowns that we discover things that we don't know that questions we need to solve and answer one of those big things in this particular deal was you wanted a duplex, but it was too expensive to build. So you moved to a single family with a plan to turn it into a duplex on the back end essentially. Yeah. But that front end process of coming up with the costs to build a duplex and the architectural planning and all those things you had to put in place to present to the bank, how did you approach that? How did you build the skills and knowledge that you needed? to have those plans in place and the costs and everything?
0: Yeah, so that's also a great question. And it's, it's very, it can be a very challenging process. Luckily, though, my husband and I both studied architecture in college. So we studied architectural technology. So it's kind of, we came from that background. When we graduated, my husband went on to work for an estimation company. He worked for an insurance company as an estimator. And then he moved on to the, the supply company, like the, the, the truss and lumber company. And he was an estimator for them. He gained a lot of experience on that side in terms of estimation costs. And then when we graduated, I went to work for a designer. I designed small custom homes all the way up to larger multifamilies. So I had a lot of experience in that too. But I mean, when we built our home, we were 20 years old. So I only had a, maybe a year or so of experience. So really, like even though we studied in that, experience was hands-on. It was just going in there and trying, trying to figure it out on our own. But we also had my parents that helped us a lot. So my parents built four homes in four years before they had us, before they had my sister and I. So they had experience. My dad worked in framing. He built homes before. Like he he had a lot of construction experience. So obviously he mentored us through the first house, through our house. And then once we built our house, well, we kind of had the knowledge set to tackle the next one. So I always tell people, yes, we're maybe in an advantageous position where we had, you know, the background, the knowledge and the education, but really anybody can do this. And I do have friends and family who has done built their own home or built rental properties on their own. You just need someone who has experience and who can teach you. You can either hire them. For like their mentorship, you can piggyback on one of the constructions they're doing right now, just all them around. You can ask to work for them. Like our employee right now, he asked to work for us because he wanted to learn what we do because he wanted to do it himself. So there's a bunch of ways to do it. But really, you just have to you just have to do the first one to get through it. But it is a bit of a complex process. You know, another advantage that I had was that I could design the plan First, and then you know myself, and then I could bring these. You have to get estimates done by all the, the sub trades, the contractors. You can get maybe one builder to give you a price, and then that way you can bring that. You have to fill in like an Excel sheet with all your costs. You bring that to the bank, and then the bank will usually have an internal appraisal done, and they'll give you a value. So just to give you like a quick example for fast math, there, easy math. Let's say your the bank appraises it for a uh, hundred thousand dollars. They'll say, okay, well, we'll lend you 80% of that loan. So we'll give you $80,000 to build it. It's up to you to build it for that amount. So you that's where you go in, you put in your sweat equity and you save that amount. You can also put in the down if you're not willing to work, do the do the work yourself.
1: So you've constructed at this point, 30 doors. In your estimation, how many doors do you need? Does the average kind of person need to become financially independent or to replace a Average income with cash flows from this particular strategy you implemented?
0: That's a very broad question because it depends on a lot of different things. It depends on your market, it depends on your cost to build. Like cost to build can range significantly. Ours can be a lot lower than someone else's. You know, if you're hiring someone, if you're hiring a GC for your first one, it's gonna cost you more. You're gonna pay that contractor a fee, a management fee, whatever. So it's going to cost you a lot. Like one, there, there's a project we did, there's a fourplex we built a couple of years ago. We built one and then we were the property, the, the project managers for another one. Someone hired us to build, it. it was the exact same building. Their costs are significantly higher than ours, right? So it depends on your costs and the cash flow you can generate based on those costs. In our case, you know, and again, it depends on what h- how much income you want to replace. If you're bringing in, if your household income is bringing in $10,000 a month, then that's probably what you want to achieve financial freedom. I think financial freedom can mean a lot of different things for a lot of people. So for us, I mean it probably took about 20, 22, 23 doors before we were like, okay, like we've replaced our income. Now we can keep going. I think maybe an average number can be like 30 doors. Again, it depends. Do you solely own these properties? Do you are you doing them with a partner? How much equity do you own in them? So it very very broad question. I I think it's difficult to answer. Everybody has a a different answer for this, probably.
1: But definitely an achievable goal, you would say, because you achieved that.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. We achieved it within probably, I, I don't know, probably seven, eight years. So we started in 2016 and I quit my job when. My husband quit in 2019, only three years after. But, but he went into work in the business full-time, so we would like pull a salary from the construction to pay him. So maybe it's a little different, but that's something that you can do, right? I just think that construction is so tangible that like, you, you can kind of create your own design, you can create your own budget in a way to figure out how much you want to hire out, how much you want to do. If it's, if you get all your quotes and the building is too expensive, well, you have time to redesign it, maybe shrink it down, do what you need to do so that it fits in your budget. I just, I just love the build-to-hold to or build-to-rent strategy for this because it's not like a property that you buy and you have to pay this amount, you know, once, you, once you've bought it, this is the amount you're paying, this is the amount of renovation it needs, and then, like, this is your ARV, your after repair values. It's, it's a little bit more tangible, changeable, you know, Con- construction can, you, you can fix it to the way you need it to, to, to happen, how you need the numbers to work. So, yeah, I think it's achievable with less units than it is with older properties, but again, that depends on the market.
1: Great. So how have increasing rates impacted your strategy or ability to get deals done?
0: It's different in Canada and the US, right? Because here in Canada, well, from what I understand, I haven't done any deals in the US. But from what I understand, you guys, you could sign a fixed rate mortgage and pay that same interest rate for the next 20, 30 years, right? Here, that's Mm -hmm. not how it is. Once you sign a mortgage, it's usually a three to five year term. And then you have to renew that term. So every three to five years, you're renewing your interest rate. You know, on one property, maybe we we signed at like a 1.89% during COVID, but now renewals coming up, we're going to be signing 6% for the next three to five years. So your cash flow fluctuates with that. I think that it really the only thing you have to be, like you have to be really focused on your, your, your costs because that's the only thing that's not going to change, you know, as the rates change and stuff like that. So obviously during the pandemic, it was really, really expensive to build. The It was the same thing in the U.S., right? Trades were charging a lot. Material was super expensive, super hard to get. So that was a bit of a challenge. So during that time, my husband did more work himself. We have our employee. They were doing a lot more labor themselves to save and to kind of offset that cost that we weren't able to run away from. But before the pandemic, we were ready to kind of scale back in terms of how much labor we were doing and hire more. But, you know, so you, you kind of have to focus on the cost, I find, in order to make the interest rates work. But it hasn't really changed anything in terms of, well, it's changed a lot in lending requirements, obviously, because now your debt to ratio income is not calculated the same way. So you, you're not you're not going to get approved as much on a construction loan. So you really have to make sure that your rents can support it. And the more income you have, the more income potential you have, the more they're going to to give you as a loan. But yeah, I think that's where it might be different in the U.S. You know, in the the U.S., your construction loans might be different for that than from us.
1: Yeah, I think we do have a more preferable debt market, generally speaking, for real estate investors. But given your situation, would you say that that incentivizes Canadian investors to work to pay down that mortgage kind of as quickly as possible to reduce some of that uncertainty? Or do you just... You know, try to keep the maximum leverage you can. Like, how do you how do you balance that in your portfolio?
0: So we always try to make sure that we are under leverage. I heard you saying about uh, maximizing leverage. No, so we're always making sure, like especially during the pandemic, where we knew that the the costs were really high, we made sure that we were going at about and maybe I think we the last one we did were like sixty seven percent loan to value ratio. So we're always making sure that we're below our threshold of seventy five percent LTV. So if we can build within 75% loan-to-value ratio, we are happy. If our costs are over, we're probably not going to go through with it because it just doesn't it doesn't work, right? We don't we don't want to over-leverage ourselves because then it puts you in a really rough spot when it comes time to renew those mortgages. You're, yes, you're automatically approved when you're renewing a mortgage, but then when you bring on new properties, your uh, debt-to-income changes and it becomes significantly harder to get approved for the newer ones. If you're able to stay you know, safe in your leveraging, that's probably the best tool you can use in order to keep scaling.
1: Great. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about location and market selection. How you think about that when you're looking at building a new property? Do you go to different neighborhoods in different areas? Have you stuck to one location? Have you looked to diversify? How do you handle that in your business?
0: Yeah. So honestly, for us, we've just Invested where we live. We invested where we know because we know the market well. It is a fast growing market. The rents are high. It's a good quality uh, of tenants. You can you can have a good selection. So we've always invested in this one um, area. Uh, we've had some properties that are more like in rural where we've had septics, like septic fields that we've had to put in. Or, But we try to focus more in uh, the town where all the services are ready because there's just the value is better. Their rents are better. Everything's better. Location always matters. So no, we haven't really tried. We've looked at other locations just for fun. You know, you we've shopped, we've looked and it's just when you're used to your systems are in one place. You know, your trades are there. Everything's ready to go. We've built a system in this area. So we haven't branched out. Now, it's not something that we're going to stick to forever. Eventually, we'll probably try in a different market. I'd really love to go invest in the States. However, our exchange rate right now is really, really killing us. <laughs> so it's not really worth it at the moment. If that changes one day, then we're definitely going to branch out. But right now, we're stuck in our location. we stuck, but happy to be in our location. It's It's been working well for us.
1: Okay. So let's now dig a bit into the operations of your properties once they're constructed, once you have them rent it out. Do you use third-party property management? Are you self-managing? Like, How have you built a system around managing the existing portfolio? It sounds like at this point, it's a manageable size to do it yourselves, but you have pretty significant ambitions to grow. So how have you approached that management problem?
0: Yeah. So we've been going back and forth with that. We're still Figuring out our business, we're, ch- we're still trying to make that work. So when we started, everything everything was self managed. Obviously, I had read the book from Brandon Turner on how to self manage your properties, and that one was a great book. I, I created a lot of systems with that, uh, and then and then I had a baby about two years ago, and nice. that changed. And we had a tenant who took us to court for the silliest thing, and it caused us a lot of stress. And that's when we realized, first of all, our kid was like four months old; he wasn't sleeping through the night. We were exhausted. We were just like trying to focus on our baby. And this guy coming in and trying to disrupt our life, it just kind of kind of pushed us over the edge to hire a property manager from a third party source. So that's what we did. We had a property manager for a couple of years. We actually just let them go. We took back management on October 1st of this year and we decided that because, well, first of all, a lot of it has to do with it it, it digs into your cash flow, but we also wanted to be able to scale in-house you know we want to have an employee people on on our payroll that can take care of it so that as we grow we have more control over our systems over our management calls our service calls all of that it's just there's a lot of things that we didn't agree with the way the management company did and and it cost us a lot more money for a lot of things and so we just decided you know what if we're going to do this It put perspective, though, we're happy that we got a property management company because we saw how they did things. We saw how it's very important to not leave your emotions in it. You know, when you're dealing with with people, it's hard because you're dealing with a very big expense. Sometimes you're dealing indirectly with their families and, you know, it's easy to get emotions, get involved. But you really have to treat this as a business. And it gave us a lot of perspective from that side. And we know now that once we took back, we're like if we're taking back, we're going to do this right. We bought Buildium the property management software and we got, you know, an employee who takes care of a lot of the service calls. We also have all our, you know, plumbing trades and all that, that they, we have everything built into that database that it's easy to just, we get a maintenance request in that database. We can send someone out, we can have the the report or whatever, and just take care of everything more systematically. So that's going to be already like now that we've taken back management, it's going a lot better. So yeah, I think that it's just the best way for us to keep scaling. In order to do it in house, we can hire another person on payroll later as we grow and another and another and just eventually have it all systematized and we can step away fully. You know, we're already stepping away slowly, but we still have some work to go before we're fully out and systemized. (laughs)
1: I love that taking the ownership back, but also looking at it as a problem where you can build teams and systems around very important rather than turning it into, well, I'm just going to take over the property management and do that all myself. You're just going to have a bunch of headaches again, right back in the same position. So before we go to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, if you were to go back and do anything differently within the strategy, what would you change? If anything,
0: try to get a system in place earlier right so that's definitely not just property management but construction in general you know it can be re- construction is very very difficult compared to renovation there's a lot of moving parts there's a lot of things to think about to line up to make sure that you know your reports or whatever your inspections your it's it's very uh, complex i think just having a system built in place beforehand would definitely be uh, easier to tackle Uh, My husband does a lot of it in his head. And so if something were to happen to him, you know, the construction wouldn't be able to keep going. So that's how we're still working on that part. We're getting better, but we definitely, I think that that's something that people should, if you want to do a build to rent strategy, you know, you definitely have to do one first to know what it's all about, to learn from it, and then systematize as fast as you can.
1: I love that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> awesome. These are three new questions for our listeners who have been around a while. So hope you're excited for our three new questions. First question, what is your number one book recommendation?
0: So this is a Canadian book, but it can be read for people in the States because it's just basically about the real estate market. And I'm probably going to butcher the title because I, don't, I always do, but it's called the, the Secrets to the Canadian Real Estate Cycle, I think. So it's all about the cycles, right? How it goes up, it goes down, how things change, the factors to look for so that you can know what cycle you're in right now and how to prepare for the next cycle. So when the pandemic hit, obviously there was a lot of red flags there. And then we thought that it was going to crash, but it ended up going higher. It increased a lot, a lot more. And now that it's going back down, I'm being more, you know, I'm more aware of all the factors to look for and how to plan for it. So I think that this is a really, really good book for every investor to pick up because it prepares you mentally so that you can prepare your portfolio right so not to over leverage and just all the what not to do and even though it's canadian like the cycles are very similar from the states and from the and from canada so it's a good book every everyone should have that one on their shelf
1: nice and that that encourages i think a longer term vision in our businesses and investments that particular perspective so I yeah like that. so we have the first question now we move on to number two who inspires you
0: Okay. So that one, that was tough. So there's one guy that really inspires me and I already talked about him. It's Brandon Turner. I think I just really like, I like his, I guess his, his goals and his, what he's working for, his missions. I like that he's a family guy. I like that he, he preaches a lot about how it's important to be with family. It's not all about the hustle yet. At the same time, this guy's hustling for a billion dollar real estate portfolio, but he's all about charity too. He teaches a lot about, you know, if you have money, you got to you got to give your money, you got to help people. So he inspires me to kind of do better and to work for better goals, right? And better incentives than just wanting to be financially free and what that actually means. So he inspires me. My mom also inspires me. I think that she's a really strong person and I want to be like her when I grow up. Yeah, I think Yeah, those are my two people.
1: Awesome. Question number three, speaking of grown up, you think about yourself at 80, years old what advice or feedback does 80 year old natalie give to natalie of today
0: yeah i was thinking about that and there's there's this one thing that my mom's speaking of. my mom she would always tell me she'd say okay i'm not probably going to butcher the way she says it but she she would say you can do a hundred good things and i'm probably only going to hear about one of them from a couple people but you can do one bad thing and I'm going to hear about it from 100 different people. So I don't know if that's more of a quote or a threat that she would tell me so that I wouldn't do bad <laughs> things when I was young. But whatever, it stuck with me and and I always remembered it. And it's true, you know, you can, especially in a business, per- business perspective, you can work really hard your entire life to have a great business reputation. But you do one bad thing and it's very hard to rebuild that reputation. So I think that that's um, important to keep in mind when you're working on your mission, your business mission, your goals and what you're working for. Always do the right thing. It just it it just nothing bad can come from it from trying to do the right thing. Another thing, too, that she would always tell me is be careful how you treat people because you never know when they're going to come back in your life where you have to coexist with them in a professional manner or, or anything like that. Right. So when I was young, you know, maybe sometimes I was a bit of a mean person with some people and then they come back in my life later in a professional setting i'm like oh hey dude what's up so i think that that's something to really keep in mind if i were to go back to my younger self when i was in high school or whatever just be nice to everyone and be respectful you never know what people are going through and that's just something to to keep in mind because it it always comes back and nips you in the butt right
1: (laughs) i love it well thank you so much for joining us today where can people learn more about you
0: I am an Instagram girl all the way, so I'm, I'm there, but I also have a website. So Instagram, my handle is at The New Couple. My website is thenewbuiltcouple.com. I've written a book on the build-to-hold strategy. It's an e-guidebook, like it's a PDF. You buy, you download, 80-page, very easy to read, but it's got everything on there that you can possibly know about our strategy. And, and so hopefully people can check it out, and hopefully that helps for people who want to try this strategy.
1: Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating interview and Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.